On the morning of July 15, 1982, the body of a young woman was discovered by a groundskeeper in Cedar Ridge Cemetery, located in Blairstown, New Jersey. Her cause of death was blunt force trauma. There was no weapon recovered or even able to be determined. Her estimated age is between 14 and 18 years old. She was Caucasian, about 5'2 and 110 pounds. She was found wearing a peasant skirt, red shirt, and a cross necklace, but no shoes or underwear. Because of her exposure to the elements and her brutal injuries, there were many things that weren't able to be determined such as her eye color or any scars or identifying marks she may have had in the face or head area. Sadly, nobody has ever come forward to claim her. Authorities named her Princess Doe, and ever since the day she was discovered, law enforcement has been working on giving her back her name. Today's episode is very special and important because not only are we educating ourselves and spreading the word in the hopes of getting this information into the hands of somebody who might know or remember her, but we also have two special guests involved with the case who are joining me to talk about it. Are you all ready to get into it? See you on the other side of this commercial. Welcome back to True Crime Time. Today we have two very special guests, author and Princess Doe advocate Christy Napurano and retired detective Steve Spears, who was the lead investigator on this case from 1999 to 2012. So I just want to welcome you both to True Crime Time and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. No, of course. So I guess just to get right into it, um, I know, Steve, you kind of came into this a little later. How did you come to be involved in this case? Uh, it was one of the detectives that was originally the lead investigator for the case um, had passed away um, in, the, in the around mid-90s. And after that, um, the case kind of bounced around in the office. And then there was some change in the office as far as um, supervisory staff, et cetera. So long story short, uh, when the new chief came in um, of our investigative unit, he approached me um, because they knew I had some experience in investigating homicides and some other things. Um, And he asked if I'd be interested. Uh, He wanted to assign the case to me. And I was, uh, you know, obviously honored because I knew of the case. I knew what it was about. Sure. And I said, absolutely. Uh, and that was kind of the beginning of our cold case unit uh, for the Warren County Prosecutor's Office. So uh started in 99. And as you said, I uh, pushed right through until 2012. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. And when you took it over, um, did you come into any new developments? Was there anything new at that time? Well, what I knew about the case was that there was some, uh, there wasn't any DNA work that had been done. Um, again, we're in the late '90s. Of course, right. Princess Doe's body was found in, in 1982, and there wasn't really any discussion of DNA um, during that time. Um, so it evolved later and became part of, uh, you know, the forensic investigations as time went on, when DNA became more uh, common. Um, so I knew that. There wasn't a DNA profile, and there was some question as to whether or not Princess Doe had been previously identified as a missing girl out of San Jose, which is Diane Dye. So there was a lot of controversy over that. Uh, There was a lot of law enforcement agencies, and the public for that matter, that were convinced that Diane Dye and Princess Doe were one and the same. But there was really no conclusive evidence to to establish that. So... 
what I did was I contacted some experts on DNA because I really didn't, I knew I knew enough, but I didn't know enough to really move forward. So I reached out to a number of experts in the field and they said, well, you need a, uh, you know, a sample. And the only way I can get a sample was to exhume her body. Because yeah. um, if you know the history of the case, you know, she was obviously found in the, in the Cedar Ridge Cemetery. And then several months later, she was interned there um, by the town. So in order to get samples I needed they told me I needed the long bones which obviously were, were buried um, so I had to exhume the body uh, right. and that was the beginning stages of working on trying to get a DNA profile okay um, as far as you know as you said she was found in Cedar Ridge Cemetery correct how long is it thought that she might have been left there before she was discovered <clears throat> they the investigators at the time, and again, I wasn't there in 82, obviously. I took the case over in 98, so, or 99, so I reviewed the case. Uh, most of the information we had suggested she had been there for anywhere from four to five days to possibly a week, mm-hmm. which is about right based on you know what I knew and what I saw in, in the case file. <clears throat> uh, but, uh, but again, it was July was you know that time of the year, hot, humid. There was a lot of decomposition as a result of you know the weather conditions, et cetera. Um, so with a reasonable amount of scientific certainty, we're talking about at least a week that she had been there. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. She, as far as I saw, she did have some pretty extreme head injury. Can you kind of tell us more about that? Yes. Um, there was severe, severe blunt force trauma to her face and head. Um, the rest of her body was pretty, pretty much pristine, uh, other than you know the, the obviously uh, the, the, the decomposition. Sure. So you know, I always say I, I don't like to base my facts on theory. I like to base my theory on facts. Of but course. the fact of the matter is that <clears throat> she was beaten beyond recognition. Um, any one of the the many number of strikes or blows to her head certainly would have been fatal. Um, so it was beyond just, you know, striking her or, or using blood force trauma to to incapacitate her and then ultimately kill her. It was beyond that. So, this, you know, depending on, on what, what you think, as far as investigators, we have a lot of theories when it comes to these things. Was it, was it personal? Was it uh, out of anger? Or was it simply somebody was trying to make her non-recognizable? Um, again, I kind of, from everything I know, I, I believe that that it was probably beyond, that the person used the blood force trauma to, trauma to basically obliterate her identity. So if she had been found even the very next day um, after her death, you still wouldn't have been able to recognize her. That's how severely beaten she was. Wow. The, the skull was, was sent to the Smithsonian Institute, and the anthropologists had to literally piece it back together like a puzzle. I think, it was, I think there, if I'm correct, there was like 27 different pieces of skull fragments that had to be actually put back together in order to, you know, to make her skull complete. That's, and I think there's even some pieces that were missing. That's very, yes, very severe. And you did mention, and that was actually one of the questions I have about it being um, personal. And I know you said there's, there's plenty of theories and you need facts to substantiate that. But because of that, in your mind, could it have been more personal? Because that was one of the first things I thought is that that's, that doesn't usually seem to be a random thing. Um, it, when is that severe? Yeah, I, 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 when I, I don't like to say personal. All I will say is this. It's, it's my belief that the, whoever the persons or persons that were responsible for this brutal beating um, 
clearly didn't want her to be recognized because if she's recognized and her identity is obviously brought to uh, to the public, then there would be some type of connection. Right. You follow what I mean? Like I think Absolutely. that they did not want her to be, be recognized or identified because if she is, then they say, okay, well, now we know who she is, and then they could go back and, and connect her to uh, the person, the persons who had contact with her and, and may potentially be the ones responsible for her death. So that's my belief. Again, I don't know if that's 100%, uh, but that kind of makes sense to me. That, that makes perfect sense. Um, I did see mentioned somewhere briefly, um, but I saw conflicting reports. Were there defensive wounds found? Well, there were some, um, some marks and some abrasions and some contusions uh, to her forearms, which would suggest that you know, potentially she was trying to cover up or protect herself. Mm-hmm. Anything, you know, a normal person would do the same thing. If you're being struck about the head, you know, you're going to try to protect yourself. And the, and the, the, the most common way is to put your, your arms and forearms, you know, in front of or on top of your head. So there, there was some indication that uh, she did receive some types of injuries that would be indicative of a defensive wound. Absolutely. That makes sense. I know that it was noted that, um, her underwear, you know, was, was missing. Mm-hmm. And I know there's not really evidence just because of the state of the body of sexual assault, but is there anything else to indicate that might've been something here? Um, the missing underwear, of course, she didn't have any shoes on. She didn't have right. any, she didn't have a, a bra or anything like that. Um, you know, there could be a lot of things that explain that. I mean, you know, she could have not been wearing them sure. uh, prior to her death. You know, there's obviously, you know, so there's theories out there, well, you know, if it was a serial killer, they would have taken them as a trophy. And, you know, that stuff, you, you just don't know. Right. Um, so, so you, but you don't want to exclude any of those possibilities. Um, but there was no other signs uh, that she had been sexually assaulted in any way. Again, decomposition certainly uh, prevented any kind of forensic uh, testing uh, that would either, you know, prove that or, you know, eliminate that possibility. Um but no, there was no trauma to uh, the genital area or anything like that that would suggest she was sexually assaulted or violently sexually assaulted. Okay. Okay. Um, just to switch gears just for one second, I just want to ask Christy, um, what kind of sparked your interest in Princess Doe? So Princess Doe, I, I grew up in Blairstown. Um, and uh, Princess Doe, this, this crime happened in 1982. I was born in 1982. And so this is just the story that I heard um, my whole life growing up. Uh, Blairstown is the type of town that this type of thing just doesn't happen in Blairstown. Um, It's a very small town. It's a very close-knit community. Everybody knows everybody else. And so the fact that this horrific murder had happened uh, and it was remained unsolved for all these years just kind of struck a chord with me. And it fascinated me, and it saddened me, and um, it was just something that I that I thought about uh, throughout my teenage years. And um, when I was in my twenties, I was I was living in California, and my mom sent me an article uh, from the Star Ledger about the twenty fifth anniversary of Princess Doe's death and discovery. She knew I had always had an interest in the case, and I um, just started writing a book. I I have always been a writer um it was uh, as a hobby and i didn't know what else i could do obviously i do not have a background in law enforcement so 
writing a story was just what I felt that I could do to give her a name and give her a life. And um, it was supposed to be something cathartic for me. I never intended that it was actually going to get published, but a friend of mine worked in publishing, or he was an author, showed it to his publisher, and they wanted to publish it. So it actually worked out quite well because the book has really become a vehicle to keep people talking and to keep people interested. And so it worked out um, worked out well that I now have this tool that I, um, you know, can use to advocate for her. Absolutely. Um, as far as, because obviously, you know, this has stuck with you for a long time. And I think I've seen, you know, you do kind of like meetups to talk about it and spread awareness is that something that happens often I think I saw you were like down south doing that as well yes um Steve and I actually have done uh quite a few of those we've we've done a lot of them in New Jersey we've gone around to different towns in New Jersey most recently we have been working with the Blairstown Museum uh who organizes these um presentations to raise awareness every couple of months, I would say maybe three to four a year. And uh, we've been doing those with, through the Blairstown Museum for the past uh, almost two years now. That's great. That's really awesome. Um, just to, to take it back to Steve, is there a theory, again, you know, more theories, about whether or not she was actually killed at the location versus it happening somewhere else and then her being left? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some information um, in the investigation that would suggest that she was, in fact, murdered at that very site, in that, at the cemetery. Really? Okay. Um, some of the information, again, it, 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 none of it's factual. It's like you just kind of look at the circumstantial piece of this case. Um, you know, how did she end up there? We know you now that the cemetery was frequented, frequented by a number of local people. Um, there, it was a very private area. It was a very secluded area. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say it's like it was a lover's lane or anything like that, mm-hmm. but but right. kind of it was, and there was areas where, uh, off to the side of the cemetery, where the locals would go and you know have parties and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, as far as the crime scene itself, there was nothing at the crime scene that um, showed that in fact she absolutely 100% was murdered there. Um, but the location of the body, um, the the area where the body was specifically found at the exact spot where she was on the embankment. There were some things there suggested that she had been there uh, from the moment of the time, the moment at the time she died, um, because there was a lot of blood loss and things like that. So, um, but then again, there's other theories that <laughs> she may have been murdered at a different location. Uh, and that touches on like, well, why was she, you know, why didn't she have underwear on? Why didn't she have shoes? You know, how did she end up out of, out of nowhere? Well, was she murdered somewhere else, transported there, and dumped there? So it, it can go either way. So I, 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 there's no conclusive evidence that tells us, oh, yes, in fact, she was murdered here. Uh, but there's also no evidence that says, you know, that she wasn't. Um, 
So it, it's hard to say. Uh, again, right. uh, when, you, when you take a case like this as a cold case, you only have with what, what you have to work with. And there was a tremendous amount of work done by uh, Lieutenant Krantz, who was the initial investigator on the case, um, and the other agencies that were there that processed the crime scene and did all the follow-up in those initial years, initial stages of the investigation. Um, but, you know, still, there was, there was a lot that you just can't put together and, and, and say conclusively, this is exactly what happened. And that's what makes this case... This, uh, this investigation is so mysterious um, and so difficult because there's just really not concrete information that you can go with. Clearly, the identity of Princess Doe is the number one thing, the number one piece of evidence that we need. I, I, I think this case will completely um, move forward fast once she's identified, and that's why you know, Christy and I are doing the things we're doing, trying to stay out there in the public, get the information out. That's why we're so thankful that we're able to do podcasts and do these things because we want to keep it out in the public eye. Uh, because somewhere, some some way, someone's going to see something and it's going to spark a memory and they're going to say, oh, I think that may be, you know, so-and-so. And that's, that's the key. We have to get her identified. And this case, in my opinion, it has been my opinion since day one, is solvable. But it's only solvable if we can identify who she is. Absolutely. I agree. I think that's very important to, you know, to keep it out there, to keep spreading the information around so it gets to the right person. Um, I did read about the Kinlaws. I'm sure you're asked about them all the time, their possible connection to this case. Um, is there anything else? I know there's probably not any new information about it, but is there anything else interesting that ties them to this in any way? Unfortunately, no. I mean, I interviewed both of them extensively. Um, you know, there, a lot of the information they provided uh, was information that was already made public. You know, something you could have read in the newspapers or, or, or seen uh, online. Um, they weren't able to provide me with a name. They weren't able to provide me with a very uh, concise timeline on how they came about to having, you know, Princess Doe in their presence with them. Um, so unfortunately, you know, that is why you know, we weren't able to move forward with either one of them. Uh, they're still on that, you know, that long list, so, so to speak, of suspects. There's still, you know, there's still a potential that they are, in fact, somehow involved. But to answer your question specifically, there's no connection of the Kinlaws to Blairstown. I mean, we looked at all of that to see how we connect them to Blairstown. The only thing that closely, remotely connects them to anything um, is the fact that, you know, obviously Arthur Kinlaw was a known um, pimp. You know, he, he obviously, you know, was in, involved in, in prostituting young women. He obviously had been convicted of other homicides involving young women. So, you know, there's a similarity. Uh, and the only connection is that there was um, a, uh, a child prostitution ring that was in Sussex County, which is the next county over in the late 70s into the early 80s. Um, so there may have been a connection there, although nothing's been established, but that's a potential connection. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was, you know, somehow involved in bringing, you know, prostitutes or women um, you know, runaways or throwaways or wayward girls to this area uh, for that for that reason, and maybe something didn't work out, and you know, she ended up obviously uh, murdered in the cemetery. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So, but there's nothing new on the Kinlaws. Sure, you did mention uh, a list. There's a list of suspects, and of course, mm -hmm. you know, you only have what you have to go on, as you said. Was there any ever anyone that you felt like, in your opinion? that could have been responsible even like as a gut feeling or other maybe something you picked up on 
Yeah, there's there's a short list. There's a long list and a short list, mm-hmm. and there is there is a short list. Um, you know, because it is an active investigation, and because obviously I no longer represent the Warren County Prosecutor's Office, I'm not at liberty to disclose that short list. Um, I wish I could, but I can't. Well, of course. Um, but personally, yeah, personally, yes, I, there was one particular individual who was involved in some behavior uh, leading up to um, and before Princess Doe's body was found, who was from the area and also um, was involved in some behavior subsequent to uh, her body being found. And, and then later he was no longer in the area. Um, so I, it might sound like I'm speaking in riddles, but no. <laughs> this individual, this individual sparked, you know, some interest and there's some things about his past and his history that would suggest that he may potentially, if not be actually involved in the actual homicide of, or murder of Princess Doe, but he may have known or had some connection to it. Okay. Um, and then there was another individual also. I think that name has been out there. There was an individual who was a, was a pastor or a reverend of a particular type of, I don't know, um, some type of church or something that lived in the area. He was the long-haul trucker. Um, his name came up, but he was developed as a suspect before I took the case, so his name was in the case when I, when I, uh, when I took over as the lead investigator. Um, so his information was out there, and I think it's been made public to some extent. Um, so I, some of that stuff was followed up on. Some of it was not. Right. Um, you know. So yeah, there, there's there. Are, let's let's put it this way. You know, there are there's clearly at least one person out there who knows what happened. And I and my belief is that that one person has already spoken to somebody or may have had talked about this in some way, some fashion, either shortly after it happened. Um, or has since that time, you know, now we're going on to 40 years, has had that discussion. There's, so that, what I'm saying is there's not just that one person who's responsible for her murder. I think others know who that person is or know what happened. Um, and it's not just one single person. I think more than one person knows what happened to Princess Doe. That's very interesting. Okay. I did know, I'm not sure, you know, so I'm just going to ask you about this. I, I read that some believe she was possibly from Long Island. Is that accurate? Um, we don't know. Again, I know it sounds like we're not giving you a whole lot of information. No, of course. Here, but all I can tell you is this. Um, we did, I did some isotope testing, which was some testing uh, that tried to determine uh, point of origin of a particular uh, geographical location where someone may have come from. That isotope testing that was done pro- just prior to my retirement uh, suggested that Princess Doe may have been in the Midwest area, Arizona specifically, and then traveled to the Long Island area. And they had spent several months in the Long Island area before she, her body was found here, uh, obviously in northwest New Jersey. Right. And the other thing was I did some research on the clothing, the, you know, the, the, the dress or the, uh, the broomstick skirt or the peasant skirt that was wrapped around her body became, you know, a key piece of evidence. It was really talked about a lot in the press. Um, you know, it had peacocks on it, and it was red, white, and blue, et cetera. Um, it was somewhat unique, and I did some research and found that that was manufactured uh, on the West Coast, and then it was uh, shipped wholesale uh, for retail sale over in the Long Island area. And then when, when um, we did the CNN uh, presentation live on Randy Kay, uh, Christy and I, um, we got some tips back that, uh, about that particular uh, peasant skirt, and, and people had said they had, had seen it for sale in the Long Island area. Uh, there was a number of retail stores that carried it there. Um, so that also kind of led us to believe that maybe if she wasn't from Long Island, she potentially had spent some time there. 
So that's a possibility. And we, you know, we saturated that area with information or composite and things like that that you would normally do in an investigation, but it never came to a, a full, um, you know, piece of information that we could really, you know, sink our teeth into and move forward on to say that she was, in fact, from Long Island. Right. That's interesting. Well, that's also where I'm from, so I'll be sure to share her photo around again, maybe, maybe this round will yeah. get and, something and the other with the with the Kinlaw story, of course, they were from the Hunts Point area, which was an area that was known for some prostitution at the time. Um, so that also played into you know the public kind of grasping that and saying, oh, she must have been from Long Island. If, but again, we don't know that the Kinlaws were involved, but because the Kinlaws information came out, um, America's Most Wanted put it on their website and all that. And, they, and of course, you know Donna Kinlaw, I think, uh, I know she did a, a, an article with one of the local papers out there. I forget the name of it. I can't think of that now. But uh, but all that information was out there, so they kind of, the public kind of put two and two together and said, oh, she must have been from Long Island. If she was with the Kinlaws, they were from Long Island. Okay. They had a long history of being involved in prostitution there, so that may be where that came from, too. Okay, that makes sense. You mentioned um, her her skirt in particular being kind of distinctive, having a distinctive pattern. Was there anything distinctive about anything else she had on, like the shirt or the necklace? The shirt wasn't wasn't anything really unique. Uh, of course, like I said, the skirt was pretty identifiable. Right. The shirt, not necessarily so. Um, but the, 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 the one thing um, that was deterrent, we... Everyone went with, as far as when I say everyone, the investigators leading up to, and even myself for a period of time, looking at the skirt, everyone assumed it's her skirt. Um, but she wasn't wearing that skirt when her body was found. It was wrapped around her lower torso, oh, around okay. her legs. It was kind of entangled. So you really kind of, you, you think it is, but it may not have been. It really may not have been her garment, her, her piece of clothing. But we did also have some witnesses who thought they had seen a female prior to, you know, several days prior to her body being found in the Blairstown area wearing a similar type of garment. So, you know, we're not 100% sure. But other than that, the necklace, which too was a unique piece of jewelry, wasn't worn around her neck. It was found entangled in her hair, but she wasn't actually wearing it when when her body was found. So then that would, you know, one would think, okay, it must be hers, and maybe, you know, it it wasn't clasped correctly, and it kind of came off during the struggle or during this traumatic event that she suffered, um, ultimately dying from. But also, could it have been something someone else was wearing, and it fell off during that event? So, again, you kind of look at these things in in, in a broad, you know, in a bigger picture and say, there's a lot of possibilities here. Yeah, you don't want to lock yourself into one or the other. There's a lot of moving parts, it seems. Exactly. I couldn't have said any better. A lot of moving parts. Yeah. Um, so I know you mentioned, again, you mentioned a lot of different suspects. There's a long list. There's a short list. And I guess this is almost a little redundant. But was a profile ever put together about the type of person who may have committed a crime like this? Yeah, there was a profile done in the early stages of the investigation. Uh, typically, you know, that that is done. Um, I'm not sure. I don't recall exactly who did. I, I would have to assume it was the FBI profiling. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's, it was nothing real. It wasn't very revealing. I mean, it was pretty much what you would suspect. Right. And it's kind of what we kind of discussed earlier. You know, mm-hmm. there was probably a personal connection between the person or persons responsible for her murder to Princess Doe. That's why, you know, they, they, she was bludgeoned beyond recognition. Um, we know clearly, um, that she was not from the area, mm-hmm. and that would suggest that the persons who were responsible or persons responsible were probably from the area. 
And, you know, the Blairstown uh, area doesn't like to hear that, but whoever sure. was responsible was somewhat familiar with the area. I mean, they, she just didn't drop out of the sky. They just didn't show up there in the cemetery. There has to be some type of connection. Uh, the connection's not with Princess Doe. It's with the persons or persons responsible for her murder. Exactly. Okay. That's a good point. Do you think with the same information, because there's really not that much to go on, if she had been found today, do you think it would be just as difficult to ID her? No. Absolutely not. Yeah. you got to remember, now we have the Internet. We have these clearinghouse websites. We have the National Center for Missing Exploited Children, missingkids.org. We've got the Doe Network. You've got the Charlie Project. You've got all this, all these tools that you can get this information out instantaneously and uh, to millions of people. So, no, I don't think that you would have had this time go by. I think you would have had a much better chance of solving this case if it had happened, let's say, yesterday. Sure. Um, and, and, of course, also knowing you know, the improvement and the enhancement in the forensic science now, clearly things would have been done differently. And I'm not saying anyone did anything wrong at the crime scene. Right. They did what they, what they could at the time. But you're look, you go into a crime scene today looking at the most minute pieces of evidence that could contain touch DNA, you know, anything. Exactly. Those things weren't even considered back then. Yeah, there's been a lot of advancements, certainly, you know, in, in that time. Um, you know, of course, there's been a surge in the popularity of people using genealogy sites to discover their heritage, more like a hobby. Um, but some cases have gotten breaks this way, like Golden State Killer, as, you know, the most recent popular one, I guess you would say. Is this something that has been used or could be considered in this case? It's something that has not been used, and it is something that I wish would be used. Um, prior to my retirement, this was just starting to come out as far as using those types of public databases for criminal investigations. But as you mentioned, like the Golden State Killer and a few of these others, a lot of um, unidentified human remains have been identified as a result of yeah. using these types of databases, using the public DNA databases. Um, you know, in, in my opinion, and I will tell you this, you know, after I retired, I, I started working for the National Center for Missing Exploited Children, and we did a two-day um, expert panel analysis of this case. So this case was brought down to our headquarters down in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, and 15 or more of the renowned experts in the, in the United States were there. And one of the things that they said, this is back in 2012, was you need to start looking at these public databases and try and get this, you know, familiar DNA, try to do the genealogy. So that was, you know, suggested and it was provided to the Warren County Prosecutor's Office. Again, this was after my retirement. So in my opinion, the one thing right now that can be done and should be done is this type of DNA work. Yeah. Um, because it's now become a science. It's now become acceptable in, in doing criminal investigations in helping to identify not only victims, but also, you know, criminals. And I don't know why it hasn't been done. Um, we've spoken to uh, the, the, the Doe DNA Project. Um, that's one of the one of the companies that the woman approached us. Mm -hmm. uh, Chrissy and I actually at the last presentation we did handed us the card and said, hey, I, I've reached out to the prosecutor's office, I'm not sure why this hasn't been done, but we're willing to help in any way we can, and we want to do it. And I'm saying, yes, this needs to be done. But again, it's I can't. It's, it's not on me anymore. Right. I only represent myself now. I don't represent, <laughs> represent any, I don't represent the prosecutor's office or the National Center. I represent myself. So I can't make it happen. They have to just, they have to do it. Is there any other way, like, can we, can we start a petition? Like, how can we get that to happen? <clears throat> 
What else can, it's interesting what else can we because do? most people ask that same question. Can we start a petition? Yeah. Sure, anybody can start a petition. But also, I think by just getting information out there publicly, you know, your listeners, and then they start talking to people. Um, it's a, you, know, you can email the prosecutor's office. You can make phone calls. Um, there's a lot of ways you can reach out and just ask that question. And, and it doesn't have to be confrontational. It can be like, you know, we really want to see this happen. If it's about money, maybe they can get somebody to donate, you know, whatever it costs to make this happen. Yeah. Um, and try to give some encouragement. Say, we really want to see this happen. We think this will be, uh, you know, advantageous and successful in identifying Princess Doe, which I said earlier is the key to solving this case. Absolutely. Getting her identity. I, yeah, I, I have people. I have people emailing me all the time asking me that question. Have you done the GED match? Have you done the genealogy? Um, the genealogy DNA testing, and why hasn't it been done? And you know, like Steve said, I obviously do not work for the law enforcement agencies either. So all I can do is suggest to people. You know, they say to me, "What can I do? What can we do?" And I tell them, "You can contact the prosecutor's office, and you can ask them." the same question that you're asking me, has this been done? Why hasn't it been done? Can it be done? Um, I think, I think, you know, if the public, um, you know, just tries to, you know, just say their piece and, and if if they see that more people are really trying to push to, to have it done and they're asking why, why hasn't it been done when every, every single day, I mean, not a day goes by that I don't see another article with, you know, this case was this murderer was found, this, uh, Doe case was solved using the forensic genealogy. And I don't know why they haven't done it either. But like I said, when people ask me, I encourage them to reach out to the Warren County prosecutor's office and ask them the same question. I think that's a great idea. I think people just need to reach out. You know, we need to reach out and see what we can do through kind of like our modern day letter rating campaign. I think that would, that would work out pretty good. Um, No, go ahead. Um, So this is still, I just want to confirm, this is still an open and active case. People are still working on this. Um, It's an open case. I don't know. If, I, I can't active. say I don't know if anyone's actively working on it. That I don't know. Okay. Um, so that again, that'd be something you would have to ask you know, the, the Warren County Prosecutor's Office. Um, but it is still an open case. Yes. Sure. We have lots of questions for them now. Um, <laughs> so, where can listeners go to learn more about Princess Doe? Do you have any resources you would like to direct them to? Yes. I mean, do you want to start, Christy? Yes. Um, So I think uh, the two, probably the two best resources to find any uh, factual information on her case, because as Steve said, there is a lot of information out there. Not all of it is factual. The first website is um, uh, princessdoe.org, and that is run by another former Blairstown resident by the name of Travis Riggs, who is also a friend of Steve and mine. Um, He was the citizen like myself who this case struck a chord with him and he wanted to know what he could do to help and he builds websites so um i believe and you correct me if i'm wrong he reached out to steve and said what can i do i build websites can i build a website with the most factual information on the website and so all the information on princessdoe.org is from steve correct correct that is correct everything everything on there is factual 
Yeah, and, and the reason, and Christy touched on it, the reason is there was so much information out there that was non-factual. Uh, it just really confused a lot of people. So I told him, I'd love it that you can do this. This is great. I will give you the information so you have the case facts so everyone knows, that, you know, this is this is factual information. And we continually updated it every time we did um, the gravesite memorials, any, anything that, you know, that we added as far as links when we did the CNN uh, presentation and we did the America's Most Wanted. We linked that all in. It's all there. You get the entire case story, all factual, on that website. That's great. Yeah, and the other website that you can go to is my website, which is whoisprincessdoe.com, where you will also find all of my, the information that I took up, took uh, was from princessdoe.org, the America's Most Wanted interview, the CNN interview, um, any newspaper articles that have been um, in any newspapers or media about Princess Doe for the last so seven or eight years is all on there. Uh, links to any recent media podcast, we will definitely put a link to this up on my website. Um, and you can also purchase my book, The Untold Story of Princess Doe, at my website as well. Great. Awesome. Let's see here. Um, I know you mentioned Warren County Prosecutor's Office. Is that the best place for people to contact if they have information? Yes. Um I know Christy gets a lot of emails. I sometimes get emails and, and you know, people reach out to me and I'm kind of out there. They know how to find me. Um, they'll ask questions or they'll say, did you look at this? Did you check into that? Or I heard this, I heard that. Any information that comes through is forwarded to the prosecutor's office. Um, so that, in my opinion, save time. Tell your listeners, you know, send, go directly to the prosecutor's office. If they have any information uh, pertaining to this case, go directly to them and just provide them with that information. Okay. That's the most direct route. No, yep. we will be sure to pass that along then. Is there anything else, any other information, anything you would let either of you would like to add? Uh, I just want to reiterate that this case is solvable. There, there's a lot of side stories, back stories, there's a lot of history, there's a lot of things that have happened, you know, from day one when, when her body was found up until, you know, recently. Um, it, but it is solvable. And really, it's just a matter of keeping the information out there to the public, hoping that, you know, the law enforcement agencies involved in this investigation will use, you know, the advanced technology that is available to them and push forward and keep working to try and identify her. That's the key to the case, identifying Princess Doe, finding out who she is, and then then you can go back and backtrack, do the victimology. You can connect the dot. There's a lot of things you can do once you know who she is. That's the biggest stumbling block in this case and always has been that we don't know who she is. Absolutely. And for my part, I will say um, the way that your listeners or anyone who's interested in this case can help while we are waiting for the Warren County Prosecutor's Office to do the forensic genealogy testing um, is to just share her story. You know, tell a per talk about it, tell a person about it, um, tell someone about a website, you know, one of the websites we mentioned about the book, about the case, um, listen to a podcast, anything we can do to keep spreading her story because, um, you know, in a, in a, if, the, if the DNA testing is not something that's going to happen 
anytime soon. The only uh, the only other way we will be able to figure out who she is is just by word of mouth and finally reaching that person because, again, I think Steve said it earlier, someone somewhere knows who she is. And, you know, we have just be- become determined to persevere and push through until we and do whatever we can until we reach that person. She she has to, she has to have come across someone on this planet that is still around that knew who she was. A cousin, a teacher, a sister, an aunt, a neighbor. Like there has to be someone somewhere who knew who she was. And we are determined to find that person or persons. Absolutely. Well, I just want to thank you both so much for all the hard work you've done and, you know, been doing and also for taking the time to talk to me today. I am honored to be just a small part of getting Princess Doe's story out there. So I just want to instruct the listeners, please check out the resources mentioned by Steve and Christy. Share this story. You never know who the person will be who's going to help shed some light on this case. As you both mentioned, somebody out there knows something, and it's long past time to give Princess Doe back her name. So thank you both again for your tireless efforts to bring awareness to Princess Doe. And we thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it. I'm so happy that we were able to to talk about this tonight. And I just wanted to say for the listeners that you've been listening to True Crime Time, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>